Thank you, worship team. Let's give it up for the worship team. So I, uh, my name is Scott, for anyone who is wondering if, like, Pastor Luke just maybe shrunk or something, or where, where he is. Uh, my name is Scott, and I'm on the lead team here at Elam Young Adults. And, uh, yeah, we're actually just going to jump right into it tonight. So, growing up, I, I always kind of had, like, a pretty broad range of interests. Um, I was never, like, you know, like the kid who, like, is really good at soccer, and, like, that's their whole life, and they're, they're good at soccer, and that's, that's all they do. They're on the most competitive teams. That was not me. I, uh, I enjoyed sports. I read a lot. I liked music. I was in, like, a few school plays. I, I just, I wanted to do as much as I kind of possibly could, and I went to a school. It was a really, like, small private Christian school. I had a graduating class of 35, and so in that, there was a lot of opportunity. Like, if something was happening, like, there wasn't a lot of competition to beat out. If you wanted to participate, you just kind of did it. And I, I said yes to it all. So I, at, at this school, volleyball was really the sport. It was, like, a bunch of tall Dutch kids that I went to school with, and they just, they could all jump out of the building. And so we were, like, unreasonably good for the size of our school. So I played on the volleyball team, and... So that often took like four or five nights a week, and we were doing tournaments and games and practices, and then I would like take a role in the school play, and then I would join student council, and then I was trying to keep my grades up, and I was hanging out with friends, and then on top of that, I was usually at church like three days a week, like piano lessons, and then, yeah, I, like I just loved doing things, and then I would always stop after like five or six months. And it was not because I wanted to. It was because I would just get violently ill for like three days. And my body was just like, nope, you're done. You're stopping now. Here's all the cold symptoms and all the flu symptoms for three days. Have fun. And that was, that was my life in high school. And then I would get better, and I would just start up all over again, never learn my lesson. And then I went to college in Winnipeg for two years. Uh, that was it was like this really intense business course where you, you had just like way too many courses. And I was working and then still involved in church and doing other stuff. And then I worked for two years. So I was working like, I don't know, like 50 hours a week or something. And still filling up my schedule. And so when people would ask me, probably through all that time, how I was doing, my answer would be like, yeah, good. Busy, but good. And I would say that from the research I've done, both professional and um, anecdotal research from talking to people, I don't think that this is a unique problem that I have of being busy. Literally today, I've heard three people say that they're very busy in this season of life. In the 1960s, researchers were suggesting that by 1988, North Americans were actually going to have a problem with boredom because they thought that with how fast automation was advancing and how fast machines were overtaking our everyday tasks, that it would actually just drastically decrease the amount of work we would have to do, and that by 1988, the average American would only be working 20 hours a week. Right? <laughs> but who's working 20 hours a week and, like, has a steady livable income where they're, like, ha paying mortgage payments? By show of hands, there's no one. 
it, it just didn't happen. So we're here in 2019, and instead what we find is North Americans are frequently working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. They are tired. In Canada, we rank 23rd in most hours worked in the world. Yeah, woo, go Canada. <laughs> and when we show up to work, we're tired. One in four Canadians confesses to frequently showing up to work fatigued. And when we're not working, we have so many other demands. We want to be we want to be at church, we want to go to concerts, we want to participate on sports teams, make it to the gym, see the latest movies, hang out with our friends, catch up on our Netflix binging, listen to all of our podcasts, get our schoolwork done, and it just drains us. And you might have noticed, actually, half of those activities that I listed are things that we would probably put in our rest category. And it and we get so caught up in like, okay, like my Netflix list, there's consistently like 45 things in there. I don't even really want to watch a bunch of them. Like I have Paddington in my Netflix list. I'm never going to watch that. But I was like, I don't know, maybe if I'm in the mood for like a good light laugh with a talking bear. On my phone, I have a queue of 35 podcast episodes that I want to listen to. should probably just delete those because I'm never going to catch up on it. Um, because if there's a cultural phenomenon happening on YouTube or Netflix or anywhere, we don't want to miss out on it. We so desperately want to be a part of what's happening in the culture that we can't possibly fall behind. But the problem is that there's always going to be another store, there's going to be another album, another movie, book, or show to check out. And because of this, we're a society that is desperately in need of a break. And the scary thing is that with all of these tasks and inputs and, and pl things that we're doing, there's often a message behind it. So it's, at work, it's like the, the chase to have the good life and have your life set and find financial freedom. It's, you know, I've noticed increasingly that when I log on to Netflix, um, the newest release that they're pushing, like, you know, like, there's like the lists, but then there's like the one that fills up the whole screen and like the trailer starts playing automatically. I've increasingly been noticed that this trailer is like either super sexually charged or this past week it was like romanticizing a serial killer, which is just like kind of messed up, or like a story about a stalker or something that I would actually never feel comfortable watching. And we just put that right on our homepage of Netflix where everybody's going for their entertainment. And if you had small children in the room, you're probably scrolling away from that as fast as you can or like covering their eyes or just doing doing something. I don't know. I don't, I don't have children. I don't know what you do with children. <laughs> but we're surrounded by these messages and these stories and these liturgies that are constantly trying to convince us that the life we have right now isn't good enough. But we could be happy if we had just one more thing, if we had a better body, if we had like a better toaster, or if we were just like swiping right more and having more quick hookups. Or accumulating like, just, just take on like a little more debt and buy that car that you really want. But at the root of all of this busyness, and as we allow ourselves to consume all of these messages that point us away from our relationship with God, I believe that there's actually a problem inside that we have to address here. In order to escape the noise, I think we actually have to do some work on ourselves first in order to make progress in this area. So I would say that, like, 
our society is resource rich when it comes to the Bible and Christian resources. And like when I say resource rich, so like there's this thing where the countries with the best resources are often like economically very poor, except for Norway, because Scandinavia, man, I don't know. They know what they're doing over there. They're also happy and have cool furniture. But in our society, it's easy to get a Bible. 80%, sorry, 87% of North American households have a Bible. They're sold in bookstores. Churches just give them away for free. I have it on, as an app on my phone. For a while, I had two Bible apps, actually. And then I was like, that seems unnecessary. I can read it on my computer. I can find the Bible just about anywhere. Yet statistics suggest that less than 20% of churchgoers read it every day. About 18% of regular churchgoers are actually reading the Bible every day. We have more accessibility to it than anyone ever before us, yet we don't take advantage of it. And that's not just, like, Bible reading that's a problem. I could pull up these, like, depressing statistics for pretty much every spiritual Christian practice that suggests that we're falling behind. So that was depressing. <laughs> but let's... So we're going to find some answers here. I'm not just going to leave it at that. That would not be encouraging. So if you have a Bible on you or a phone, you can open one of your Bible apps and turn to Proverbs 4. And as we continue in our series called Caution, Character Under Construction, this message is called Secure the Area, Protecting Yourself from Yourself. In our first couple weeks in the series, Luke had us looking at this metaphor of building a skyscraper. And he was talking about laying the foundation and how our Christian walk starts with saying that we're second to God and that our needs are no longer as important as what he wants in our life. So we're building a skyscraper and we have the foundation poured, but now we need to secure the area and make sure that our foundation, the heart of this project of character building is protected. Because we can say that we're Christians, but if we're not actually, like, living our lives as Christians, Jesus kind of just, like, has no chill in this area. Like, Matthew 7, I'm serious. This rocked me this week. Like, I've read it before, but in Matthew 7, it reads that many will come to him, and they'll declare all of the good things that they did and call him, Lord, Lord, look at all these things that we've done. And Jesus will respond, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's just brutal. So how do we, how do we avoid that trap? So Proverbs 4, we're going to be in verse 23 to 27. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. So there's two parts to this passage. In the first two lines, we have the command, guard your heart, for it is the source of life. And this is what the writer of Proverbs wants us to do and why we should do it. Guard your heart, that's the what, for it is the source of life. That's why. And in the last four verses, we have how we're supposed to do it. And this, this is kind of a roadmap, and it's a list 
of the ways that we are to guard our heart. And like so much of the Bible, this actually really just flies in the face of what the popular thought of the day was. This is a countercultural message. Because first off, this passage calls us to be holy, which we can understand as like set apart. We are set apart to be different from those around us and those in the world. So in verse 23, when it refers to the heart, it doesn't actually just refer to like the physical organ. It refers to your whole being. This is just kind of how our understanding in like an English Western translation and understanding would have it. But it, it's referring to the whole self, our whole being. So the writer was asking that in all that we do, we be holy and set apart, consecrated, living for him. Because the popular teaching of the day was that it really didn't actually matter what you were like inside, just as long as he didn't say it. So there was a Sumerian proverb that circulated in those days that read, a heart never created hatred, speech created hatred. A heart never created hatred, speech created hatred. So you can see the problem there is that you can have so much hate in your life, but just don't say anything about it and you're fine. But like, our understanding of the Bible is that we need to go deeper than that. There needs to be actual life transformation. So the book of Proverbs calls us deeper. In all that we do and in all that we are, we are to be holy. There should be a complete rejection of sinful behavior in the life of a Christian. And we can find other passages in the Bible from this time that help us to understand that this actually was a consistent worldview of how we relate to God. So Psalm 139, verse 23, 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's saying, test me, know my heart, know what I'm really like. And if there's anything wrong in me, draw it out and lead me in the life everlasting. This is a drastically un different understanding of morality than what they would have been surrounded with in those days. It calls us to so much more. Which brings us to our second point, protect your life. Wow, what a bombshell. Protect your life. But we often act as if life is like something that we're trying to get. It might help if I referred to it as the good life. But when we accept Jesus into our lives, that's the day that our whole trajectory changes. And that's the day that we actually receive the good life. It is a gift that he gives us. Because before Jesus, our trajectory sucks. Because the end appointment of a life that's not living for Jesus is eternal separation from God. But when we actually accept Jesus and we start to live in his way, we get to live a life abundant of joy and of peace and of love that has no end date because we get to look forward to eternity spent with our Father. So that's why I say to protect your life. Protect it because if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, your life is good. You are in the good life. It's already started for you. The self-help books have it wrong. We're not trying to find a good life. We already have it. So guard it. Protect it. That kind of brings us to like the how of this message, which is build habits of holiness. I want to do a, like a bit of a deep dive on habits here, just to recognize the power that habits actually have in our lives. So we're going to look at a quote from a book 
by James K. A. Smith. He's like some doctor in like Pennsylvania or something. Um, but he wrote this book called You Are What You Love. And I don't think I have the authority to do this, but I'm going to make this required reading for all of you because it's real good. Um, it, it just like it rocked me. And honestly, it changed so much of how I view my relationship with God and how I actually practice my faith and, and the stories that I actually allow into my life. So we have this quote here. It says, not all sins are decisions. Because we tend to be intellectualists who assume that we are thinking things. We think temptation is an intellectual reality where some idea is presented to us that we then think about and make a conscious choice to pursue or not. But once you realize that we are not just thinking things but creatures of habit, you'll then realize that temptation isn't just about bad ideas or wrong decisions. It's often a factor of deformation and wrongly ordered habits. In other words, our sins aren't just discrete wrong actions and bad decisions. They reflect vices. And overcoming them requires more than just knowledge. It requires rehabituation, a reformation of our loves. So what he's saying here is that a lot of the sin that we have in our life isn't actually just due to decisions that we're making day to day where we're like, I'm going to sin right now. It's actually, it's often actually just out of habits of sinfulness that we've built up in our lives. Because we as humans are such creatures of habit. And whether you like to admit it or not, some of you guys are like, no, I'm unique and I live every day differently. But like, you probably don't. You probably have a pretty consistent pattern in your life. And there's, because we're all so sinful, whether you've just come to know Jesus or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably allowed habits in your life to build up that cause you to sin frequently. So build better habits. And I like using the word spiritual practices to kind of talk about the positive habits that we're building in our life. And I like that term. A lot of people may use spiritual disciplines. But I like spiritual practices because we tend to assume that discipline is kind of a negative word. But when we're talking about practice, the important thing is to remember that you're probably going to mess up. I took piano lessons for a really long time. Like far too long considering my current playing ability at the piano. I did not practice as much as I should have. But when I did practice, you get a new song and you struggle through it. And it's tough and your timing is off and you don't really understand the rhythm and you're going to hit the wrong note here and there. But what you're trying to do is actually try to practice that song so much that you understand the rhythm and it happens naturally. And so that when you're actually playing that song, that it's not so much something that you're putting so much concentration and effort into, but it's just something that you're doing because you're so used to it, and it's actually a part of you. The songs that I know how to play on the piano, like the, the one and a half songs that I know how to play on piano, I know it because it's actually like a part of me, and I can just pull that out because I know it. And I think that this is how we should approach our spiritual practices. Because God doesn't want you to fail, but he wants you to try. So I have three suggestions of just like simple spiritual practices that you may want to start with. So the first one is turn off your phone. And that doesn't sound like a spiritual practice. And if I was you, I'd be like, ugh, get off your self-righteous horse. <laughs> I don't know why it's a horse, but it's self-righteous. 
It's got some issues. <laughs> so maybe this isn't technically a spiritual practice, but I do believe that it's good for your soul. I've had to do some reevaluating in the last few weeks. Um, iPhone users, are you guys getting those screen time notifications now? Yeah, just like a collective groan, like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. So I wake up on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. They've told me, like, how much of my week I just wasted. And honestly, I saw the number, and I was shook. Like, I'm just, I'm going to lay it all out here. I was spending, like, over four hours a day on my phone, which some of you were like, oh, my gosh, he has a problem. And some of you guys are like, I'm, I'm, hopefully, I'm hoping that's not the highest number. That would be sad. <laughs> but even if it is, I knew, I know, it was a lot. And I was looking at it, and I was like, that is, if I'm up for, like, 16 to 18 hours a day, that's a quarter of my day that I've actually just spent looking at my phone. That's clearly way too much. And I knew that I was spending a lot of time on my phone, but until I actually saw that number, you, you just blow it off. And you figure, yeah, like, I, sure, I spend time on my phone, but like it's not a problem. Like, ooh, everybody has phone addictions. Like, I don't have an addiction. I'm not a weirdo. But when you're spending a quarter of your day on your phone, I mean, it doesn't look great for you, self-included. So I'm trying to cut it in half and just to be more present and to actually redeem that time that I'm no longer spending on my phone by just, like, being more present with the people that I'm with and being more productive, getting more work done, but also trying to spend more time in the Word and trying to redeem that time so that it actually brings me closer to God rather than what it was doing before and leading me farther away. The second spiritual practice that I want to suggest is the prayer of examine. And this is another one. It's actually kind of new for me. I was introduced to it like a year ago, but like never really did anything with it um, until very recently. But the prayer of examine is basically just this, this centering prayer that you can pray probably at the end of your day just to reflect on the day that you've had and just allow God to speak to you like, hey, what am I doing wrong here? What, what am I doing right? Um, what do you see in my life? And you just sit and wait and allow God to speak to you. And uh, I was actually just introduced to this app this weekend called Reimagining the Examine. And it basically just has like 30 prayers that it can guide you through, um, just like one a day. And I found it really helpful. It is, if you download it, it is from like a, like a more Catholic tradition. So like there's maybe some things that you're like, oh, I've never crossed myself before. I don't want to do that. That's fine. Don't. Um, but I do recommend it. It's been really helpful for me. And my third suggestion is to read less scripture more often. And I'm not tr trying to tell you to read the Bible less. But if your Bible reading time is just like stale and it just feels like a chore, I've, I know so many times like, I'm really like a night person, so I leave my Bible reading till the very end of the day, which like is not a great idea because I, I am usually tired. But the amount of times where I'm like, okay, I should read my Bible, but then I'm like, oh, I mean Isaiah, I don't want to read this. This is so boring, and it just becomes a chore, and it like there's no joy in it. If that's kind of where you're at, or if you're actually just struggling to read the Bible at all. I would encourage you, pick a small piece of scripture, and, like, you can go for the freebies. Like, do Psalm 23. Like, it's a nice, easy one. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
kind of 3D, but do something you're familiar with is what I'm trying to say. And something that you know like you're actually probably going to be encouraged out of right away. And just read it a couple times. Pray over it. Ask God to speak to you through it. See what, see what he has for you in that scripture. And just do this every day. Maybe even a couple times a day. And hopefully as you do this, you're actually going to find the joy of reading your Bible again. And keep doing these. Whatever, whatever spiritual practice it is that you decide to do, just keep doing it. Charles Duhigg has this idea of keystone habits where he talks about these habits that actually affect and shape our whole life and our, our whole lifestyle. So exercise would be an obvious one. People who ex exercise regularly, they start eating better and they become more productive at work. Less obviously, they also smoke less. They show more patience with colleagues and family. They use their credit cards less frequently and they say overall that they feel less stressed. For many people, exercise is a keystone habit that actually triggers widespread change throughout their life and into the lives of others. Because if you're more patient with your colleagues, then your exercise has actually benefited them. So how much more would a solid rhythm of life, walking in the way of Jesus, affect you and everybody around you? Because solid spiritual practices is going to keep you away from those negative habits that will harm people, but also invites in the fruit of the Spirit into your life. So when you're, when you're letting more of God in your life, you're going to have more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, and on and on. And just understand why you're doing this. That's so important. Because if you just start something because, like, I said to, which, I don't know, I feel like it's not that persuasive, but, I'm so sorry, <laughs> but if you just start something because, like, you should, because you know that it's the right thing to do, your success rate might, might not be the best, but if you know that you're doing it because you want to actually protect the life you have, and because you want to protect the good life that's already in you, then it's, it's going to be more alive, and it's going to come out of a place so much more naturally. So to illustrate this, I want to take you back 500 years to our fictional storyland. So let's say you're, it's 500 years ago, and you walk up to a construction site, and you see that there are kind of like midway through of what seems to be a very a very impressive building project. Whatever it is they're building here, it's big. It's it seems like it's gonna look nice. And there's a guy, he's he's just laying bricks. And you walk up to him and ask, Do you like your job? And he looks at you and replies, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is boring. I work in the scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy, and lifting them day after day is backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime, but it's a job, and it pays the bills. So you thank you him for his time. It's kind of negative, but whatever. And, uh, and you walk on. 
About 30 feet away, you walk up to another bricklayer, and you ask him the same question. Do you like your job? And he looks up with a glow in his eyes and replies, I love my job. Sure. I've been working on this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is boring. I work in a scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy, and lifting them day after day is backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime, but I'm building a cathedral. The difference is that the second worker knew where they were going, and he knew what he was doing, and he knew that one day that people were going to look at this structure, and they were going to go, wow, look at the work that was put into that. What an amazing structure. That was worth doing. And it's the same for us. The work that we are doing here is so much more important than ticking a box or checking a to-do list. It's more than showing up at church and reading our Bible. It is a whole new way of life. It is a resistance to the busyness that our culture pushes upon us. And it is saying yes to the life that Jesus lived, which was unhurried and gracious and full of love and people and community and deep, deep time spent with the Father. Following in the way of Jesus is how we push back on the stress and it is the way that we redeem the way that non-Christians view our Christian communities. So imagine if we had that grounding, that rootedness, and we were building up habits that daily brought us into the presence of God. How would having this, this keystone habit, how would it not only change how you live your life, but how would it impact the lives of those around you if you were doing just one more thing to bring you closer to God? If you were doing just one more, one more time in, in your day where you were entering into the presence of God and saying, yes, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to impact today? How can I show love to those around me today? When we chase the good life, it's not only going to affect us, but it's going to affect those around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have such a good gift from you that that when we say yes to you, that you give us the good life, that we don't have to wait until eternity, we don't have to wait until we have that one next thing, but that it begins in that moment. And that we can start right away chasing after you and having your presence and your spirit in our lives, Lord. And I just pray for this body of believers that as we go out, that we would impact those around us, that we would have a supernatural sense of love and joy and peace that we bring out into the world. I thank you for every believer here. I thank you for all the things that they're going to do, Lord. Would you walk with us and guide with us? In your name we pray. Amen.